That was kind of some ballroom dancing or something right there, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't know. If it ain't rock and roll, I don't know what it is. You guys doing good tonight? We're having a good time. There we go. Jesus loves you. And, um, well, we prayed about for everything, didn't we? We prayed about for everything, didn't we? <laughs> about for everything. That's good. Well, let's just invite the Holy Spirit right now and let Him do whatever He wants to do. I have a message. It's called Being Led by the Spirit. And Kathy said I shouldn't use notes. It's uh, incongruent with the message. I said, what are you doing? She said, what are you teaching on? I said, led by, being led by the Spirit. She said, well, why are you doing notes? I don't know. Casey doesn't come. <laughs> All right, that wasn't funny. Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now. We just invite you just to come. We just invite you just to come in the, the way that you want to come. Lord, if it's with drama, if it's with joy, if it's with conviction, and all the other things I can't think of. <laughs> I hate when you're trying to be profound. It doesn't work out. Lord, I just pray that you would just come. Wouldn't you like to have a Samson experience? I would. Not, not the moral part, just like... Where the Holy Spirit comes and like, you know, like you could pick up your car and carry it home or something like that. You know, like where the gym just becomes like, just becomes irrelevant. Let's just keep praying, okay? Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come any way you want to come. <laughs> Sorry. Just move on us any way you want. Just. <laughs> uh, we just want you just to do whatever it is you want to do. I was going to say within reason, but then I thought. We're still praying. Even outside of reason, Lord, just, just do whatever you want to do. Lord, fix people. Yeah. Yeah, that's for those who don't want to have any more children. <laughs> that was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I meant their hearts, Lord. Just heal people's hearts tonight. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's why I use notes. <laughs> uh, last night, <laughs> I know it's kind of hard to be changed and be serious now. So why don't we not? Lord, we just... <laughs> Man, 
Yeah, I cracked myself up. Last night, I was right before I went to sleep. You know when you're in that, you're not asleep, but you're not awake. You're in that little, I don't know, that space. Sometimes it lasts a few seconds, and sometimes it lasts a few minutes, depending on how tired you are. I was in that space last night, and, and uh, I had this vision, and uh, it, was, it was really short, but it was a vision of a man's hands that were like really weathered and kind of, uh, I was trying to explain, kind of, they, were, they were really weathered, but they were really sweaty. Like he was, like just the hands that were doing something and the veins were like sticking out. Like you would see somebody like using their, you know, using their hands for something. You know how your veins kind of stick out. And, and, I was, and I was, it was just a vision of it for about, maybe it lasted three or four seconds. It was very vivid. It was very like, almost like an open vision. And so, and it really, us, uh, it really like, I was like, what is that? It really shocked me and it troubled me for a few minutes and, I just kind of laid there, and I'm like, that was so vivid that, that I, that it, uh, it really, it really troubled me. I didn't know if it was good or bad. I just knew it was like vivid. And so I laid there for a few minutes, and my heart was kind of racing. And I'm like, and I said, finally said, Lord, is that you? And and, and what? And if it is, what are you doing? And He said, Those are my hands molding you. Huh. I'm the potter, you're the clay, and I'm like, wow. And I was just thinking about how many of you have, you're, you know, let me say this. I feel like God is always molding us. It's probably a silly question to ask. Maybe you're different than me, but there are times I'm really aware that I'm being molded. And there are times when I'm not. Is it like that for you? Like, um, we had a potter in our town in Weaverville, really great guy, a believer. And, um, you know, I've, I've watched him on, a, on the, what do they call those wheels? The potter's wheel, yeah. That's a, pretty deep. Uh, it's just amazing that I could even mumble, you know. And sometimes the clay gets kind of stiff, and they have to add water to it. You know, I've watched him, like, when they're really trying to mold it, he keeps adding water to it and getting it more pliable. And you ever have times in your life when you feel like you need a little more water added to you? It's like, ow, this is beginning to hurt. Add some water, you know. Get me drunk at least, you know. Give me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Give me a little anesthesia here. And uh, how many of you feel like you're in that, in that kind of season where the Lord's molding you and it's kind of like, give me some more water because... How many of you like are very aware that the Lord's? Do you know what I mean by that? I don't want you to raise your hand to like acknowledge, make me feel good or something. But how many of you? How many of you like you really feel? You can feel the Potter's hands on you right now, and it's like not necessarily bad, but it's not fun. How many of you are like that? Yeah, probably. I don't know. Two thirds of us are like we're going through that stuff, and uh, yeah. I think sometimes the Lord, do you, do you ever think the Lord just kind of like, I guess it's going to be another ashtray, you know? <laughs> just, I just had this flashback of being in school, you know, and 
we worked with clay when I was like in sixth and seventh grade, and everything I made turned into an ashtray. And it's like, you know, it started out some, like I had this vision for a beautiful vase, but it was like, nope, it's an ashtray. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, you know. Um, turn to Rome. <laughs> Sorry. Romans 8. And let's see if we can get a sense of what the Lord's doing in our lives. Verse 11. And we're going to kind of, we'll kind of, kind of backtrack in a couple of minutes, but I want to just kind of start here as a text. But if the Spirit of Him who raised... Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Say mortal bodies. Through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if we are living according to the flesh, we must die. But if by the Spirit we are putting to death the deeds of the body, we will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit... All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I want you to say that all who are being led by the Spirit, the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Let's do this part too. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children heirs also, and heirs of God, also fell heirs with Christ. And indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For, the creation, was, for creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because him who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be and set free. That creation itself would be set free from slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that all creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth and te- together until now. Not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for he who hopes for what he's already seen for who hopes for what he's already seen. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait, wait eagerly for it. In the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I I just want to start there, and um, having this thought for, I don't know, probably on and off for a couple of weeks, really intensely for more than a week, and that is this. It says, He who is led by the Spirit of God... These are the sons of God. And I started, th- and, and it goes on to say that if we're not led by the Spirit of God, then we're not sons of God, and he who sets his mind on the flesh is dead, and he who sets his mind on the Spirit is life. And it goes through this whole um, discussion about people who are dead and people who are alive, and it comes to this conclusion that they that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And... Um, 
How many of you are led by the Spirit of God? How many of you, how many of you know what that means? That's awesome, because that's the question I've been asking myself. For more than a week, I've been saying, am I really led by the Spirit of God? What does that mean, to be led by the Spirit of God? Does it mean, does it mean I get up in the morning and I say, Holy Spirit, I have no agenda. Tell me exactly what you'd have me do today. Does it mean that? Does it mean that as I go through my day and I say, should I have a hamburger or should I eat a chicken sandwich? Holy Spirit, show me what I should eat. (laughs) Does it mean when I make a big decision like, I'm going to buy a car, or I'm thinking of buying a car, I say, Holy Spirit, should I buy a car or should I buy a truck? Or should I buy something really fun? Or should I buy something practical? And do you ever like, you go to the dealership and you go, what would Jesus drive? What would Jesus drive? Would he drive something that starts with a C? Because he's Christ? Would he drive a Honda? Because they were all in one accord. Would he drive a motorcycle? Because David led him in a triumph. This is what happens when I get off my notes. (laughs) On a serious note, it's like, I've I've been, you know, I don't know, I'm a compulsive thinker, which is good when I'm on a good subject, and it really not good when I'm not on a good subject, because you know what compulsive thinker means? It means like you get something in your brain, and like you work it to death. How many of you are like that? I know, I feel for us, don't you? Don't you? We get something in our brain and it just rattles around in there until we like, we work it till like, we look at every, it, and, and I've been doing that with this, seriously. I mean, I know I'm kind of kidding with you, but I'm like, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? And I've been a Christian for more than 30 years and I find myself having this compulsive, overwhelming obsession with what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? I'm really being serious with you. Like, are we really led by the Spirit? You go, well, I got here and and the devil wouldn't want me here, so at least we got, it's either me or God, so at least we're narrowed her down to two. Right? Are you guys all right with me? I'm actually trying to, come to some conclusion tonight but I don't have in my notes because I figured if I preach this then I'll get the answer because I tried praying about it that didn't work <laughs> I'm reading this book has anyone ever read the book Waking the Dead that's a good book isn't it and, um, 
And he, he talks about this very subject, which is really interesting, because I'm like, I'm thinking about, I'm re, I've been reading Romans a lot, and, and I'm thinking about, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? And he has a whole chapter about being led by the Spirit, and he asks, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? And I really wonder, you know, like, are there, is there dimensions and depths of that? And, and the first thing, you know, that it means in Romans chapter 7, um, the chapter before, the chapter we read, obviously, Paul makes a statement in verse 21. He says, I find that the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in my members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Now, um, I don't know if you're kind of uh, aware of where I'm going right here, but in, in chapter 6, he says, Paul says 19 times, chapter 6 is the chapter about baptism, and he talks about when we were baptized into Christ, we're dead. Now, the reason why he makes that argument is actually because he's got momentum from chapter 5. And in chapter 5, he says this, Paul says this in chapter 5, he says, we're no, under, no longer under the law, but we are under grace. And he makes this whole thing about how much more powerful grace is than the law. He says the law told us what to do, but it gave us no power to do it. And he said the more I learned the law, the guiltier I got. In other words, the better I knew the law, I got guiltier and guiltier and guiltier and guiltier because the goal of the law was to tell me I needed a savior. And so he says the law isn't bad, the law is good. The problem is, is the law gave me no power to change. The law told me what to do, but it gave me no power to do it. Are you with me? And then he said, and then he said what happened is, is that where, the law, where law increased, sin increased. Because how many of you know that if you know two rules and you're not keeping those, and then you know three rules and you're not keeping those, how many more know that the more rules you learn and the more you have no power to keep it, you become guiltier and guiltier still sin increases? Because sin means, remember, you can't sin by accident. And I talked to you about this just a couple of weeks ago. Sin means you know the right thing to do and you do the wrong thing. You can't sin by accident, okay? So what happened with the law? The law told us all the things that it, it said, this is how to behave. And the more we knew the law, the more sin increased because the more we did the same thing knowing it was wrong. But that's pretty clear, right? And so, in, so then in chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, Paul makes a statement about grace. He said, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And what he's, and what he's saying is, is that the deeper you are in sin, the more powerful grace is in your life because there is nothing that can keep you from and separate you from the love of God, which he finally makes clear in, in Romans 8. Okay, so are you with me? So he finishes Romans 5 with this. If sin, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So it doesn't matter how guilty you feel, grace can rescue you. And then chapter 6, he starts, and you know, there was no chapters when he wrote this, of course. In chapter 6, he, he starts with this phrase. He says, so then shall we sin, so grace will abound. In other words, he makes such a great case for grace. He makes such a great case that grace is amazing, and it's so much better than the law that you would want grace. And he goes, the bigger sinner you are, the more grace you're going to have. And so in chapter 6, he starts thinking, well, these people could think that they need to go sin so that they get a bunch of grace. So he goes, so he asked the question to the people that he's just spent five chapters teaching how amazing grace is. And he says, well, shall we sin so grace will abound? 
And then he starts Romans 6, and, and, and he starts with this. He says, how can dead people sin? <laughs> he says, because if we are crucified with him in the likeness of his death, then surely we, we shall also be raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Are you with me? So he goes through five chapters and he goes, grace is amazing. It's so much better than the law. Listen, grace gives you the power to do. God doesn't just tell you what to do, but he gives you the power to do it. And that's called grace. And it's just amazing. And, and he goes, and then, he, then he thinks, oh, I could be teaching them to sin. So they get more grace. He goes, listen, that's not what I'm talking about because dead people don't sin. And then he goes through and tells us that when we receive Christ, that we are dead to sin and we're alive to Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Are you with me? Is this a little boring? Or Okay. I'm... Okay, so in chapter 7, he makes this statement, and he says, I joyfully concur with the law in the inner man, but I see a different law working in my members, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members, wretched man who I am, who will set me free from this. And what he, he goes on to say, I'm, I find the principles of evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. And he talks about the very good that I want to do, I don't do. I practice the very evil I don't want to do. And so, you know, so a lot of people have taken that, the, those scriptures that Paul talks about right there, and he goes, and Paul's saying, you know, I try to do the right thing, but the wrong thing still happens, and I'm, I'm, I'm really aware that... Evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. It's like I concur with the law and the inner man, but, but, my, but my body's dead because I keep doing the wrong thing. And, and so the first thing it means to be led by the Spirit is this. Paul makes this case about the fact that he's having this war, and the first thing I want you to see is that if you read all Romans 1 through Romans 8, you can't possibly think that Paul's talking about his current situation. In other words, you can't come to the conclusion that Paul is saying, I am currently dealing with this evil that's inside of me. Because he makes a statement and he says this, for I, he says, wretched man, who, 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 wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body, everybody say body, of death. Thanks be to God. Um, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in one, on one hand, my myself with my mind serving the law of God. On the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that Romans 8, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then he gets to verse 11. He says, For the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal, everybody say mortal, bodies through His Spirit. So then, brethren, you're not under obligation so then, brother, we are under obligation not to the law, not to the flesh to give. I'm sorry, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but the spirit to live according to. The, uh, I'm sorry, but ah. so then, brother, we are we are we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if we live according to the flesh, we must die. But if by the spirit we're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And here's the point. In chapter 5, he goes, grace is so amazing, You'll, you, 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 just, you, just, you just want grace. You don't want to live under the law anymore. You want grace. In chapter 6, he says, shall I sin so grace will abound? Because in chapter 5, he ends with, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. He says, no, dead people don't sin. In chapter 7, he begins the, his exhortation with this. He said, there was a, there was a, there was a woman married to a man. And, she, and they got divorced. 
And when they got divorced, the woman remarried. So she's married to this man, she got divorced, and she married another man. And while she married that other man, she was called an adulteress. Because if you divorce and get remarried, you're an adulteress according to, this, to the law, right? To the law, you're an adulteress. Okay, so what happened? He's, and then he goes on to say, well then, the man, the first man she was married to died. Now how many of you know that her condition didn't change? She divorced this man, married another man, she was an adulteress, the old man died, and now she's not an adulteress anymore. Are you with me? Okay, and then he goes, okay, you think I'm talking about a woman, but what I'm really talking about is the way we relate it to the law. For we were once an adulteress married to the law, but when the law, when Christ died, the law died, and now we're married to another man, Christ Jesus. Are you with me? Okay, now, that's the beginning of chapter 7. And he goes on to talk about what it was like to be married to the first man. The first man was the first man, Adam, was the law. And the law told you all the things that you weren't supposed to do, but it gave you no power to change. And he goes, listen, I tried to do the right thing. I was a Pharisee. I was committed to be a righteous man. Only problem is, I had no power to change. So I found that even me, who I'm this Pharisee, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm teaching, I'm teaching religious principles and I'm teaching the law and I'm teaching people to do the right thing. But what I found is, is that sin was actually, actually sin had me. And I was sin's prisoner and I was teaching the right stuff but doing the wrong stuff. Are you with me? And so he goes, who's going to free me from this? And he says this. He says, in the inner man, I agreed with the law. But in the outer, in, but in my body, in my, the body, in my body, sin was present. That's why in Romans 8, verse 11, he says, and God wants to give life to your mortal bodies. Because he's saying, you no longer are a prisoner of sin. And that's why he goes on to say, now, listen to this. If you are being led by the Spirit, you are sons of God. You have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which you cry, Abba, Father. Are you getting the point now? He goes, listen, you used to live under fear. Why? Because you had this law that said, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And you're always under fear because you were married to the law. It was your first husband. Are you with me? And you lived under fear just not knowing any time when you were going to be punished. You have to read chapter 7 verses 1 through about 6. You were married to this first husband who was a taskmaster who said, do this, do this, do this, do this. And you lived under this intense fear knowing that at any time you deserve punishment. And the only thing that happened year after year, I mean, what happened year after year is you would take a lamb to the priest... And you would get the family, you, listen, you would get a family, your family would take a lamb to the priest. This is really important. They would take a lamb to the priest, and you would, they would lay hands, you would lay hands, all the family would get around, and you'd lay hands on this lamb. What were you doing? You were imparting your sins into the lamb. And then, while you watched, 
This is the most important part. While you watch, the priest would kill the lamb in front of you. Do you know why? Because you were built to need justice. Follow me. See, it's why you like to watch good cop movies. I've shared this many times. It's really the truth. It's the way you're wired. See, you're like God. You were born for justice. The reason why, the, you know, if you watch a good, if you got, watch a good uh, cop movie, what's the first thing you see? The first, the first ten minutes of the movie, what are they going to show you? A crime. They're going to show you a crime because they know that if they can get you to watch the crime, you're not going to be able to walk, walk away from the movie. Why aren't you going to be able to walk away from the movie? Because something in you says that man deserves to be punished. And, and the producers know that if they can write a script that shows you a crime, that you will stay to watch justice happen. You can watch, watch the same movie five times, but if you watch the scene where the crime is, crime is performed, there's something in you that wants to stay to watch the rest of the movie, even though you know what the outcome is. Because you were born to know that the difference between right and wrong, and that wrong deserves to be punished. Are you with me? So they would take this, they would take this lamb, every year they'd come, and they, everybody would do this, everybody, every family, they'd take a lamb, they would, the lamb's innocent, they'd put their hands on it, they would release their sins into it, and then they would slaughter the lamb in front of them so that there was a sense that the criminal got caught. Because if they didn't do that, what would happen is, is that they would wind down into feeling like they needed to punish themselves. And they would grow a culture that cultivated punishing themselves, and they would begin to invite punishment into their lives. Lots of people in our culture do that. They marry women, marry men who will punish them. Not understanding that there's already been redemption for their sins that already been paid for. Are you with me? That's why they had the watch, the priest slaughter the lamb. It's like getting, it's like watching, it's like watching the the murderer get caught at the end of the movie. There's a sense of closure. You have closure. You go, okay, I'm good. I'm good for a year. Are you with me? Okay, so Paul says, listen, that's what was going on in me. And I was married, when I was married to this other, one, uh, other man, I, I knew all the things I was doing wrong, but I didn't have any power to change it, and I just got guiltier and guiltier and guiltier. I became wretched. I became a man who was wretched because I knew the right things to do, but I couldn't do it. And then he goes on to say, there's no commendation. As a matter of fact, God wants to give life to your mortal bodies. Why does he use the word mortal body there? Because he said that the sin in chapter 7 was in his body. He said the inner man was, was wanted to do the good thing, but the body wanted to do the bad thing. So he makes the point that God isn't just taking care of the inner man, but he's taking care of the outer man, and he saved the whole man. Man, that's just a good word. Did you hear what I just said? God saved the whole man so that you are no longer... Listen to the same guy who wrote Romans, wrote Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, and this is what he said. We wrestle not with what? Flesh and blood, but what? Principalities and powers. Do you understand that in Romans 7, he wasn't wrestling with principalities and powers? He was wrestling with himself. Man, you just got to get that. 
In Romans 7, he said, when I was under the law, I wanted to do the right thing, but I kept doing the wrong thing, and I had this wrestling match with this guy I could never beat because I look in the mirror, and it's me. I am wrestling with me. How do you get rid of you? Are you, are you with me? It's like everywhere I go, it's like I'm going to move to another, I'm going to change jobs. What's the problem with changing jobs? I bring me with me. And it's me who I'm wrestling with in chapter 7. Well, I'll change marriages. Yeah, you're going to find out that you follow you. I'll change cities. I'll change churches. And you know, and the story goes on and on. And it's always someone else's fault because I haven't realized that in chapter 7, I'm under the law and I'm wrestling with me. And how do I beat me? Well, how are you going to cast you out? How many know, if I have a problem, I'd much rather be a demon because you can cast it out. Right? If I have a problem with lust, I hope it's a demon. You can fix that in like a five-minute session. But if it's me, it's a lifetime session. As long as I'm under the law, are you, getting, are you following where, where I'm going? In, in, in Ephesians, so Paul says, listen, I'm wrestling with me, but I'm trying to say to you, is like he's not talking about his current situation. You have to start from chapter 5 and read on. He's talking about his relationship under the law. And then in chapter 8, he goes, listen, I got freed from that because the spirit that, gave life, that raised Jesus from the dead, okay, he raised the body of Jesus from the dead, not just his spirit. He also is giving life to my mortal body where sin used to be captivated in me. So he goes, I used to be in this wrestling match and sin was in my body and my inner man was a good, ma- good guy, but the outer man wasn't a good guy. Didn't like him. But you know what? When I received the Spirit of God, that wrestling match stopped in me. And God gave life to my mortal body. Where sin used to be, I no longer live in sin because I'm being led by the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, and for all those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And if sons, heirs. And then we begin to cry out, Daddy, Abba. What's the first part of being led by the Spirit? Is it like, okay, well, let's see, should I buy a Ford? Found on the road dead. Or a Chevy. Well, I, I don't want to take away from the fact that God wants to be in every decision. So I'm being a little silly, but we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a, in a couple of minutes. But the first thing it means is that you realize that you've given up, you've given up being under the law, where your relationship with God is based on duty, on rules on a clock and a calendar. Someone asked Miss Wigglesworth, I think it was, how long do you pray? He said, I don't know, I don't pray on the clock. It's not, this isn't a, a message about not having discipline. I hope, I hope you're not getting that out of it. It's a message about realizing that the Spirit of the Lord is in you and you no longer please the Lord by keeping rules. 
Well, you're saying that I can't sin. No, I'm just saying it ain't any fun anymore. He changed your nature. You know, uh, uh, I had this big debate with this guy in Lake Tahoe, and he, he was a real theologian, which, you know, I wowed him with some of my stuff. <laughs> Moved him right into the automotive field. and Yeah. But he was talking to me about this issue. Like he said, he was talking about Romans 7. He said, look, Paul talks in first person there, and and I said, well, have you read the whole book? He's like, well, yeah. I said, did you read the whole book in one setting? Because if you read chapter by chapter, you can lose a sense of perspective. He, and I said, listen, I'm not insulting you or being rude, but have you ever sat down and read Romans 1 through 16? Have you ever read it just one setting? Because it's one story. Like there's, only, there's one point to the book of Romans. And the, and the point is, is that grace... We're under grace and no longer under the law. That's the point of the book of Romans. Have you read that? Yeah, I said, well, you couldn't have read that and then got that out of that. The only way you can get that out of chapter 7 is to only read chapter 7. Because the case starts in, in, in chapter 1, and by the time you get to chapter 7, you know he's not talking about his own life because of the, chap- because of the previous chapters. He's talking about the way we were. Are you with me? And he said, well, what you're saying is, is that we can't sin. I said, no, what I'm saying is, is that Adam and Eve sinned without a sin nature. He said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, when God got done creating Adam and Eve, he said they were very good. And then they screwed up. He couldn't have said they were very good if they had an evil nature. So Adam and Eve chose to sin without a sin nature. And he's all, yeah? I go, well, so can you. It's not your nature, but you still have a free choice. I like what Danny said the other day. I don't know where he got this. must have been the Lord. couldn't have been Danny. (laughs) He said, you're still going to have free choices to sin in heaven. And I was like, okay, whoa, Bill's in the front row and raises are coming up. And then he made a statement, which is, you know, we all know, it's like so obvious. He said, well, the, a third of the angels fell, and they made a choice to sin while they were in heaven, so why wouldn't you continue to have a free will? Uh, there's a really good point, but what would happen if you sinned in heaven? Would they, like, send you to purgatory, and then you come back? Or I really don't believe in purgatory, actually. Uh, it won't be funny. All right, so whatever. So the first thing it means it, to be led by the Spirit is this, is that, you, is that you shake off that whole law thing that just sucks. And you, you go, I don't even read the Old Testament. Listen, I'm not even talking about the law of Moses. I'm talking about where you're doing duties so that God will love you. Do you know that thing? 
like Galatians calls it, Paul said in Galatians, he said, who bewitched you? And that word means who put you under a spell. You started by the Spirit, and now you're trying to be perfected by the law. And if you look at his argument, he's not even just talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about trying to do things do things to please God instead of trying, instead of just letting God, instead of Abba Father, instead of just letting God love you. Now, how many of you know, I preached on this the other day, we are His workmanship created in, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The word workmanship uh, is the word poema. It means we get our word poem from it. We are God's poem. And so it's natural for us to work for God, but not to work for love. Not, for, not to work for righteousness. Are you with me? You know, um, Peter and Judas both denied Christ. And Peter's denial was so strong that when Jesus told Mary to tell the disciples that he was alive, he said, tell the disciples and Peter. So there was a time, at least probably a couple of days, well, Jesus was dead three days, there was a time when, when Peter was not considered a disciple. At least in Mary's eyes, because he said, tell the disciples and Peter. What's the difference? Judas died under the law because he hung himself. And when he realized that what he did was wrong, he created his own redemption. Uh, uh, That was a lot more powerful than your response. Instead of going back to Christ and saying, I betrayed you, would you forgive me? When it says when he was convicted, he hung himself. And it says his inner parts busted out. It it came out of him. That doesn't normally happen when you hang yourself, but you know why it did? Because that's where sin was present in him, because he was under the law. But what did Peter do? He came back to Christ and became probably the greatest apostle in the first 12. Both of them denied Christ. Both of them did. One of them tried to solve it under the law. And one of them was led by the Spirit. And when he saw that he did wrong, he came back under grace. Man, this is a great word for us, I can tell you. There are so many people that don't even believe in the law of Moses that are still under the law. Like they would, they would argue over the Sabbath day. They would argue over eating pork. They would argue their, their freedom to eat you know, shrimp or crab. And yet they're, 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 they're greater law keepers than people who keep in Sabbath days and aren't eating shrimp. Because they're grading themselves by their performance instead of God's. Okay, well, that was a good word. You don't have to clap. That was, I made that happen. Feels like a little applause sign went up. You know, um, 1 Corinthians says that the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. And I often wonder how, I often wonder if sometimes instead of being led by the Spirit, uh, I missed a point. 
when Paul says they who are led by the Spirit are sons of God, he uses the capital S Spirit. <laughs> Sounds obvious, right? Holy Spirit. What's the point? You can be a very spiritual person and not have it be the Holy Spirit because when you received Jesus, your spirit came to life, so you're a spiritual person. <laughs> Man, if you just thought about that, there's a book that needs to be written about that. There are two spirits alive in your body, your spirit and the Holy Spirit. When Paul says the sons of God are being led by the Spirit of God, and by being led by the Spirit, he uses the capital S and adds on God so that you wouldn't just think about being spiritual. There's a lot of people in the New Age movement that are spiritual, but they're not sons of God, even though they're living in a spirit realm that is real. Are you with me? And I often wondered, you know, oftentimes, like, if we, if we need discernment to know when we're moving in the spirit little s and when we're moving in the spirit big s. Because oftentimes when you're moving in the spirit realm, it's easy to think that because it's spiritual, that it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> are you with me? Are, are you, I know, you're just processing, right? You're thinking. And I'm, I'm doing that all week long. I'm like, am I really being led by the Spirit? Well, first of all, do I have guilt for things that I've already confessed? Someone take care of that. Do I have guilt for things that I've already confessed. Are you guys looking at me? Do I have guilt for things that I have already confessed? Well, sometimes I do. Well, whenever you're doing that, you're under the law. Don't make me bring out my hand puppet. Don't make me. And I wonder, I wonder in God's, from God's perspective, he says the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. And I was thinking about this today. It's the first time I've thought of this story in years. I worked in a service station where I was the manager of the service station, one of my very first jobs in this Arco station. And my boss, was a, he wasn't a believer, but he was a very compassionate man. And, um, and he liked to do nice things for people sometimes. And there was this guy who came, and his name was Kevin, and he came and he, and he asked for money. You know, like, we were kind of like on a main highway in the Bay Area, and he, he came in and he asked for money. And my boss said, and we were looking for a, a um, we, you know, remember when you used to not pump your own gas? Young people, there was a time <laughs> when you didn't get out of your car. Yeah, this is like, we need to stack up stones or... Yeah, when I went to work in my first service station, gas was 23 cents. So that tells you how old I am. Anyway, so anyway, let me just get to the, this is getting too long. I'm enjoying it, though, actually. I'm not sure if it's a spirit or if it's because I like attention. It's my little spirit or the big spirit. So anyway, so this, kid, this young man comes in. His name is Kevin. He's about, uh, he's probably 19, 20 years old. We're, we're looking for a Pump Island salesman uh, guy, you know, and, and he walks in and he wants, you know, he says, you know, do you have any money I haven't eaten, da, da, da. And my boss, who's a great big guy, he, uh, and he says, uh, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you some money, but how about I give you a job instead? And I'm like, oh, no, he just hired a transient. He hired a transient. He literally hired a transient that walked, just walked by. You know, Proverbs says, if you, if you hire someone who walks by, you're a fool. Proverbs says that. Just, you hire anyone. It's just like, you're a fool. Um, so, 
My boss hires this guy out of compassion. And he, and he goes, hey, Chris, I just found your new, your new Pumps Island salesman. I'm like, oh, no. Okay. So the first day I'm out training him, and he's, he's with me out on the Pump Island. And in those days, we were all full service. And you just, that was the years when we were full service. And I was teaching him how to, you know, it's just, it's, you know, you just ask the customer what they want, and this is how to do it, and da-da-da-da-da. So I trained him for two days, and then on the third day, I said, okay, Kevin, listen, this is the deal. You're, you're on your own, so if you need any help, just come in and get me, okay? Don't, don't do anything, just don't do anything wrong, okay? I'm just going to leave you out here for an hour. He's, all right, all right, all right. So he was out there for an hour, and, you know, he seemed to be doing okay, and he was a little bit slow mentally, Really nice young man, but really a little slow mentally. And so, um, so the first day he's out there, and he's kind of like leave him out there for an hour or so, and he seemed to be okay. So the next day I like left him out there for a couple hours, and it seemed to be okay, kind of checking on him. The third day I left him out there all by himself. And I opened the service station that morning, and a man comes in, and he says, hey, there was a nice young man yesterday I came in, and, I, and, I, I, and he, he forgot to put my gas cap on. I said, oh, I'm really sorry. And I told Kevin, we always put the gas caps in this particular drawer. So if you forget, so the guy can come back. So I opened the drawer, and there's no gas cap in there. And I go, well, I'm really sorry. He must have lost it somewhere else. And about 10 minutes later, another man comes in. He goes, there was a nice young man yesterday who waited on me, but he forgot my gas cap. So he doesn't come on till 9, so this is like 6 in the morning. So by 9 o'clock, there was like 9 people came in and asked for their gas caps. And, uh, you know, after the second one, I'm like, okay, this is more than a coincidence. Like, there's no possible way that two people could come in the same day and ask for a gas cap. But there's no, there's no gas cap in the drawer. So I'm like, hmm. So Kevin comes in at 9. I can't wait for him to come in because I'm like, now there's been, I think, I think 8 or 9 or 10 people by 9 o'clock, 3 hours, the day I left him alone. So, I, so he comes in. So I said, hey, Kev, I said, uh, y- y- have you left a gas cap off of anyone's car? And he goes, and I'm like, oh, no. And I said, so I opened the drawer, the gas cap drawer, and there's no gas caps in there. And he goes, yeah, I know. And he starts to cry. I said, what's wrong? He said, well, I put all the gas caps in there. I forgot, but then there got to be too many of them, so they wouldn't fit in the drawer. And I go, so what would you do with them? He said, I threw them in the dumpster. That emptied the dumpster the day before, so we went out in the dumpster, and I look, and I'm not kidding you, there was a pile almost half as high as this pulpit of gas caps that he left off in one day. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, dude. And he's bawling, and he's like, oh. So I go in and I get my boss, who's like very competent, and and you know, and I and I told him the first day I said Kevin's not going to work out. I mean, Kevin's not all there. Like you know, he's he's one board short of a doghouse. He's <laughs> definitely not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And my boss is all, oh, people love him, and um, I'm like, okay. So I take my boss out to the dumpster. I go, hey, come in with me, Bill. Look in there. He goes. Where'd you get all those gas caps? I go, that was one day with Kevin. I said, he's gone. He goes, oh, no, no, find something else for him to do. I really like him. I'm like, and he goes, I I said, I am not going to, he said, yes, you're going to find something else for him to do. I said, what am I going to have him do that he won't, I mean, he can't remember gas caps. He goes, I don't care. Have him clean my office. I said, for the whole day? He said, 
don't fire him. Whatever you do, don't fire him. I said, okay. So I took him, my boss took off, what he does. He'd leave for a couple of days whenever he made a decision that he knew wasn't a good one. <laughs> and I said, Kevin, come here. He said, what? I said, you're going to spend the whole day cleaning Bill's office, which was like, this is a little service station office. You know, it's like, it, it isn't any wider than this. It's just this little office. And we had just paneled it as a gift to him. The crew got together and we paneled it and we decorated it. So I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to clean the paneling, and, you know, clean the floor. I'm like, how do I keep him busy for eight hours? Wipe down all the walls, everything. I want you to clean this thing. Okay. So he's in there all day, all day. At about five minutes to five, I think, well, I better see how he's doing. You know, what could he mess up? And I walk into the room and I, and I look at the paneling and it's that, you know, that paneling that is printed, it's that cheap, it looks like wood totally, but it's not real. Yeah, it's not, not veneered, it's, it's, it's like uh, printed brown. It was all, all, every bit of it, gone. What was left is what you buy, like, looked like pegboard. All the print that looked like wood was completely gone from the top to the bottom. <laughs> and he was just rubbing off the last little bit. I said, uh, I walked in there. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I said, what did you, Kevin... What did you do to the paneling? He said, well, you told me to like, put lemon pledge on it. I go, yeah? He goes, so I lemon pledged it all. I said, let me see your can of lemon pledge. And he hands me a can of oven off. <laughs> oven off. He can't read. He didn't tell me he can't read. I said, Kevin, what does that say? He said, lemon pledge. I said, it says oven off. <laughs> he sprayed oven off on there. You know what oven off is that? On it. <laughs> I said, dude, just stay right here. Don't leave. <laughs> Don't leave. So I called Bill. What are you doing? I said, hey, Kevin's got your office done. I want you just to done such a nice job. I'd like you to, I'd like him to just present it to you. He's all, oh, I'll see it tomorrow. I go, no, no, no. I think you need to come down right now and see it. And he's like, Arr. I said, come on, just down. Kevin's really excited for you to see it. And Kevin's all like I am. I'll never forget this is my whole life. As long as I live. There's a window, plate glass window here and a door here, and you really can't get three people in the office. So I said, Kevin, take Bill in and show him how clean the office is. He all right. So I'm watching through the plate glass window when he looks at the paneling. Man, he learned Egyptian. Kevin didn't work for us anymore after that day. I wonder if we look that stupid when we're being led by the little ass instead of the big ass. Because <laughs> such a great analogy. 
I just wanted to figure out a way to get the story in there. Because the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. And I can't tell you how many times that I have figured out in the last few months, because I've been going through this, well, whatever, Potter's thing, always, I've decided that a whole bunch of the righteousness in my life is like self-propelled. Like, looks stupid. I'm gathering gas caps and thinking I'm doing a good job. Are those deer horns? Uh, no, they're gas caps. <laughs> Whatever. I know why you're laughing. And I'm wondering if we're realizing, like, what is the first... What's the first symptom that you're being led by the Spirit? You don't have guilt and shame and gar- all that garbage holding you down. You keep short accounts with yourself and with God. And when you do something wrong, you ask for forgiveness and get this, you actually believe you are. Do you know what I mean? And that, look, that cloud that's called the law, that's a curse isn't following you around and you're not spending your whole life reacting to the way we were instead of responding to the nature of God in your life. I have another point even though it's been an hour. All right, Can I make one more point? Where is the first place when Jesus was led by the Spirit? Do you know the dove came down on him and it says, and Jesus was led by the Spirit. The first time Jesus was ever led by the Spirit, as far as we know, at least recorded in the Bible. Do you know where the Spirit took him? The first time. Like, he got, he got endowed with the Spirit, and where's the first place the Spirit led him? Capital S. Into the wilderness to what? Not to pray. I wish it said that. To be what? Tempted by who? The devil. Are you being led by the Spirit? Man, I don't know if I'm being led by the Spirit. You know, before I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I didn't have any problems. No, you were just too ignorant to know you were collecting gas caps. See, this... This Jesus gets baptized, a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. Okay? Next verse. Because remember, it's the next chapter, but there wasn't chapters when Matthew and Luke wrote that story. Next verse. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And what was the temptation? Here's the first words out of the devil's mouth. If you are the Son of God, guess who was listening when a voice yelled from heaven, This is my beloved Son, who I am well pleased. Guess who else was listening to the prophecy? Guess who else is listening to your prophecies? This is my beloved Son, who I am well pleased. The next temptation is what? The the first... The first person who was ever led by the Spirit, the first journey that he took was where? Into the wilderness. And what was he doing there? He was being tempted, tested by the devil. And what was the temptation that this capital S Spirit led him into? Who are you? 
Someone else is listening to your prophecies. Do you understand that? You go, I got this prophecy and hell, hell's broke loose. It's like, good, it's a real one. <laughs> it's a real prophecy. How do you know that? Hell doesn't care about false ones. He doesn't care if it's just your imagination once again running away with you. But he does care if he hears a voice that says, This is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. The first question is, if you are the son of God, do something. Work for it. Show me. Prove it. Do something. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get him under the curse. He's trying to get him under the curse that the first Adam fell under. And what is the curse? You're working for your identity instead of from your identity. You're doing the thing that Paul said, I became a wretched man. Why? Because I wanted to do the right thing, but I kept doing the wrong thing. Why did I keep doing the right thing and wrong thing? Why is all that thing happening? Because I'm married to the first man who tells me all the stuff I need to do and gives me no power to do it. And he's trying to get Jesus under that same curse, that, that bewitch, that, that spell... As soon as he hears, this is the Son of God who I'm well pleased, he's like, we better see if we can get him under the spell. And that spell is to work for God. To work, no, start over, to work for righteousness. To perform to be right. To get under that law so you're always feeling guilty. doesn't matter what you do, it's never enough. How do you know if you're being led by the Spirit? You'll have a wilderness experience in which your identity will be tested. And every time you get a promotion, it'll mess with your emotion. Until you take the potion. I don't even know if any of that's true, but what I'm getting at is this. When you get a promotion, there'll be a test again. Are you with me? See, God promotes us prophetically, so He promotes us before He calls what is not as though it is. And when you receive it, you receive grace to do what you've not able, been able to do before. Gosh, get this. This is, the way God, this is the way God calls you. You're not ready. God says, okay, you are going to be, I don't know, whatever. You are a whatever. You're an ashtray. No. no, God calls you and He goes, you're, you're, I, I call you as a pastor. And you go, when God calls you, if it's really God, first of all, it's bigger than you and you can't do it by yourself. And you go, God, you know, I can't do this like Moses. When you think you can, you can't. And when you don't think you can, you're ready. And God goes, okay, you're a pastor. And, and then as soon as he says, you're a pastor, grace comes into your life. Follow me. And grace is the ability to do what you couldn't do right before you got the word. So suddenly, God calls something that is not as though it is. And when he does, his words become worlds. And he creates inside of you the ability to do to pastor. He gives you the ability to pastor. And the devil goes, I heard that word. Let's see if he's a pastor. 
And you go, man, I got this word, and I've never felt the least... I, 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 I definitely don't think I'm a pastor now. Why? I don't know. I'll tell you, all I've done has been under this attack since you've been told I'm a pastor. It's like, yeah, it'd be about 40 days. And then you'll come out in the power of the big S. The goal is to beat him in the wilderness so you don't have to deal with him with the people. <laughs> that was a really good word. And so, you know, you're a pastor and then God says, okay, I'm going to put you over ten cities. Someone else is going to hear that prophecy. You go, ten cities. Okay. Are, am I, are you guys gone? How many of you are here tonight? When you get a promotion, you're also going to go through an, a test. The goal isn't, you're not being tested so you'll fail. You're being tested so that you can beat him on the next level. Like the test is always... The test is always to beat the devil, not beat you. Are you with me? How do you know if you're being led by the Spirit? Okay, well, the first way is this. You'll know what car to buy. No. That's good, but that's not the first test. The first test is that you live in grace. That you live in grace. And when you hear the accuser, because it says the accuser of the brethren was cast down, book of Revelation, last thing that happens, which means he's still around. That's a good word. So he's still accusing. You're no good, you're rotten, nothing you do makes sense, you're, 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 you're not anointed, no one loves you, there isn't a God, if there was a God, he wouldn't care about you, you're insignificant, what is your real purpose for life? You don't really have a purpose for life, you are, you're an accident, mistake, your parents had you out of wedlock, you were a product of a rape, your mother didn't want any more kids, you, you, just, you outlasted the abortion doctor, there's just like, there's a million things, they don't even have to be true. And some of them can be true. I'm just reminding you. And how do you know if you're being led by the Spirit? You don't become a wretched man. You go, those are lies. I don't believe you. I received Jesus. I'm hidden in Him. Everything that I did is under the blood. It's still under the blood. I'm dead. Dead, 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 dead. You must have another man. That man died. I, I was there at his funeral. Saw <laughs> so him buried. Well, the second way you know you're led by the Spirit. You pass through some kind of test. And, and I, I want to say that if you only pass through one test, you probably aren't getting promoted. I've been tested once in my life. We know. if God gives you a job and like you take the talent and bury it, you don't get a chance for test two. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, uh, that was a good word. Um, man, I've gone an hour and 15 minutes already. Okay, so...
Point three, you'll know you're being led by the Spirit if the Holy Spirit's comforting you. You know you're being led by the Spirit because you know you need a comforter. You know you're being led by the Spirit because you're going to places where the Spirit has to comfort you. Let's see, am I making any sense yet? You know you're being led by the Spirit if you do something wrong, you feel convicted for it. You know you're not being led by the Spirit if you do something wrong and it doesn't bother you. That's called a depraved mind. I'm living with my girlfriend and there's 14 reasons why it's okay. I love Jesus. Right. Uh, You're spiritual, but not the big S. Because the big S, one one of the things that the big S does is convict you of sin. And one of the best things that can happen in your life, in my life, is when I do something wrong, I feel bad for it. Man, I hate feeling bad for the stuff I do wrong. Oh, numbness is worse. Numb means you've outlasted the Holy Spirit. How do I know if I'm being led by a spirit? When you do something wrong? Let me say this. When you get really mature, when you think something wrong or have a bad attitude... Before you ever do it, you feel convicted. And I'm not talking about condemned. I'm just talking about like that voice that goes, I wouldn't go there if I were you. That's not a good plan. If you fall that out, you're going to have to repent for that. And you know how you had to go back to Johnny and ask for forgiveness and how painful that was? Yeah. You, you wouldn't want to do that again, would you? No. I would change your attitude if I were you. Are you with me? How do I know if I'm being led by a spirit? Are you convicted for your attitudes when they suck? If you're not, you're not. That was deep. If you're not, you're not. (laughs) Why don't you stand? How many of us in this room need to be more led by the Spirit by my definition tonight? How many of you how many of you feel guilty for things that are under the blood and it it just just keeps accusing you? That's me too. I've got two hands this this week. I'm a two hander this week. Not a footer though. Not a footer. That was, that was three weeks ago. Just a two-hander. Yeah. How many of you are going through a test that you thought was the devil, but you didn't realize it was God? How many of you know it's both? Okay. Ding, ding. Jesus, we just pray. Come on, let's come to that. We just pray right now that you, Holy Spirit, would become our friend. I've been praying this prayer. God, I want to know you. Holy Spirit, I want to be guided by you. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be self-righteous. 
I don't want to go through a test that I created myself. I don't want to live under condemnation or be in a battle with my flesh when you already took care of it and you killed it. Lord, I don't want to find myself wrestling with my flesh instead of principalities and powers. I don't want to be in a battle that you didn't take me into. Lord, I pray that, first of all, that each of us in this room would be led by the Spirit and that we would be able to to say, you're our daddy, you're Abba Father, we love you, we like you too. And Father, I pray for all of us that have been in the wilderness. Father, I pray for those that have been in the wilderness way too long. Lord, I pray that tonight that you would come with your Holy Spirit and that you would beat the devil at his own game and you would destroy the works of the enemy in our lives oops, in our lives, and that we would leave the wilderness in the power of the capital S Spirit. Father, I pray for everyone who's, who's in that position, in that place tonight. And Father, I pray that we would begin to move in new dimensions of your Spirit. Father, we'd be able to ask you about the car. We'd be able to ask you about the purchase. We'd be able to ask you about the places. All those things would be a part of being led by the Spirit as we deal with the elementary principles first, that we could live in conviction and not condemnation, that we could live in joy and not under the law of being wretched, that we could live in a promised land and not in a wilderness way out of season. Lord, I just pray for that in the name of Jesus and that we wouldn't participate in the wisdom of men and and we look foolish. We look like Kevin just being... Silly and not understanding the ways of the ways of, the, of of God, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to take on the wisdom of God, begin to move in new dimensions in Jesus name in Jesus name Amen Chris, why don't you lead us tonight? would you thank you very much.